the College of Education produces more millionaires than the law school, than medical school, than than computer and technology. You're walking away from a lot of money. And they're like, what are you talking about? They were all doing very well. And I started to think, how is this possible? This profession can help us retire a full decade before the national average. The non-teaching world is tough too. That might be enough to help us get through that tough year or that tough administrator or that tough class. Welcome to the Page Talks podcast, where we discuss issues critical to the work of professional educators and public education. The Professional Association of Georgia Educators is the state's largest educator membership association and leading advocate for educators and public education. Page is also a valuable resource for member needs through legal representation, legislative services, one-to-one coaching, and professional learning. I'm Craig Harper, Executive Director of Page and the host of the Page Talks podcast. This episode debunks the common belief that educators can't achieve long-term financial security. I'm joined by Dr. Steve Franson, a career teacher and administrator in Metro Atlanta. Steve shares what he's learned about how educators can become millionaires. He put it all down in a book titled The Millionaire and Me, A Teacher's Guide to Becoming a Millionaire. You'll find our conversation informative and enlightening as we dig into the very real possibility that at the end of a career in education, you too can join the ranks of millionaires. Steve, I want to thank you for joining me on the Page Talks podcast and taking time to share what you've learned about teachers and personal finance. If you would, share a little bit about yourself and then why you wrote The Millionaire and Me. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Like you mentioned, I'm a, an educator in Gwinnett County. I'm in my 25th year in education. I started off as a Spanish teacher and then got into administration and was an assistant principal for a number of years and, and had the opportunity to be a principal for another number of years. So for the past 20 years, I've been in the hiring business, trying to recruit and retain teachers. That kind of led to the book indirectly and directly, I I suppose. Teacher recruitment and retention are a huge focus, the whole teacher pipeline uh, issue that we're all very familiar with and the difficulty it can uh, sometimes to uh, encourage people to go into the profession. And one of those things that can be an issue for some people is to the belief that if you're a teacher, you're going to be on the short end of the stick when it comes to financial stability and, and well-being. So your book debunks some of that in a, in a pretty clear and direct way. So talk to us a little bit about how the book came to be. I will even go back a little further. When I was considering to be a teacher, my mother was a teacher, my grandfather was a teacher, and my mom wasn't very highly excited about my decision to go into teaching. She didn't really endorse it. She she actually questioned whether that was a good idea or not. And, and I just kind of got some of these messages that, hey, maybe you're not going to become a millionaire. You're, gonna make a, uh, you're not going to be rich. You're going to teach. You're going to fulfill your passion. You're going to impact the community. And uh, and that's okay. That you'll sacrifice wealth and riches for the altruistic, wonderful aspects that the profession provides, right? And so I kind of had that in my mind. And and we grew up. Uh, uh, there was seven of us kids, so there wasn't a lot of money in the household. Even though mom was a teacher, she she stayed home for years with the kids, and then got into teaching late in the game. And so grew up without a lot of cash. So I had that all swirling in my head. And I remember I started teaching. And my department chair, she was a teacher and her husband was a teacher and they invited us over for a department gathering. And I pulled up to this house and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a beautiful home. 
you guys aren't teachers, are you? And sure enough, they were. They had a beautiful house, big house. They had figured out something that they they were able to have a very comfortable lifestyle with teaching. And then I started noticing when we would recognize retirees at the end of the year, well, those were poor people sitting up there being recognized. They were relatively young people retiring and uh, going off to this next chapter, and they were all doing very well. And I started to think, how is this possible? How are they figuring out how to make this profession pay? And I I, I get talking, and I, I saw some things and, and heard some things, got some great counsel from people. And then I got into administration. I wanted to pass that on to new hires. So I would always, when a new hire would come on, I would talk to them about the importance of saving and budgeting, right? Because you need to have a little bit of money to be able to invest. And they would look at me like, what are you talking about, Franson? Why are you talking about investing? I'm 22. I just started teaching. You're talking about saving money. And I, and I would try to encourage them, listen, you're about to get the biggest checks you've ever gotten in your life. If you would just live off of 70, 80% of that, take 20% and invest it. So I would give them an assignment. So I would do that and they would just go on and and I would see them go buy new cars. And I'd be like, oh boy, they're they're spending all their money on these brand new cars. So they got their money tied up in that car. Then I kind of changed it and said, okay, I'm going to try to teach you about investing compound interest. I'll give you a homework or something. Go find out the difference between a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA. And when you come back for the mid-year conference, I want you to tell me what the difference is. And they would come back and I would ask them and inevitably they wouldn't know it. So I kind of would talk to the teachers about, hey, you need to you need to save and you need to invest. And so I kind of did that. Then another scenario with administration would happen where teachers would get frustrated and they're like, Francis, I'm going to leave the profession. I'm done. And I would have a different conversation with them. I would say, okay, wait. You're walking away from a lot of money. And they're like, what are you talking about? Teachers don't make a lot of money. I'm like, no, let me show you what the retirement is. And I would kind of go through that with them and say, 60% of your highest three years after 30 years, or you're walking away from that. I know it's hard. What can we do to make it better? And and at that time, sometimes they would reconsider, but a lot of times they had already made the decision and left. And I then other times I would talk to your five-year teacher and talk to him about, Hey, okay, you're you're getting to be a pretty good teacher. When are you going to start working on your master's? It's time to work on your master's. And they're like, no, no, I don't want to do school. And I'd pull out the pay scale and I'd say, no, look what how much more you will make for the same work you and you've got to develop into leadership and the the connections and the networking and the 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 information you'll learn working on your master's. It's it's important. It's time to go. And some of them would do that. So I'd have these three different conversations that I would have with teachers at three different times of their career. Beginning teachers talk a little bit about finances and budgeting. Middle, you know, five years, I'd talk about what to do with your career, next steps with your career, uh, getting the next degree. And then frustrated, I'm about to leave teachers. No, don't leave because of this incredible pension that we have. And so over the years, talking with, with other principals and with the recruiting and retaining piece, we've been taught, we're talking to how are we having a hard time recruiting and retaining when teaching is amazing. When you finish working, it's it's this tremendous finish. When you get close to that retirement spot, it is so profitable. And then we got kicking around. I'm like, I'm going to write a book. I, I, I have these conversations. I'm going to write a book and, and put it all in one spot, all in one spot so that we can hand it to the beginning teacher. They can see their career, 
to the teacher in the middle so they, they can kind of say, hey, I need to maybe make some adjustments for that teacher who's who's struggling and, and considering leaving and showing them, well, the, the non-teaching world is tough too. And they may not have all these goodies that we may not be aware of. So those conversations is kind of the nexus of the book and, and, and how it all began. Yeah, there's some really important points that you brought up. And I was in HR for a long time working on recruiting and retaining teachers. And, and one of those things we always emphasize with our, especially the brand new teachers just coming out of college, at those new teacher orientation sessions was the importance of doing something beyond just teacher retirement. As great as teacher's retirement is, if you can just do a little something with your 403B, whatever you know company that you have there, and figure out a way to save some of that money. And then I always talk to them about how quickly the time goes. <laughs> I mean, you're going to be at five years, 15 years, 30 years faster than you can ever imagine because the work just goes so, so quickly and you get involved in so many things. I was really interested in uh, the part of the introduction of your book. You talk about the top three occupations of everyday millionaires. And the first is engineer, the second is accountant, and the third, surprising to a lot of people, I'm sure, would be teacher. How does that work? Because most people would never believe that the teachers would be number three on that list. I'm not a financial advisor, but I've been reading financial books. I've been very interested in finances my whole life. And I've been reading finance books for as long as I can remember. Back in, in college, I started reading a couple. And what's interesting is that study just came out about four or five years ago where they they surveyed all the millionaires in America and they saw the most frequently occurring or appearing professions amongst the, the millionaires. And engineers were the most frequently appearing profession. And that makes sense, right? Engineers are, they're systems oriented. They think about how to solve problems. And so they can architect, they can put together a plan and they can become a millionaire. And accountants is the second most frequently appearing profession, which also makes sense because they're in the financial industry, they're counting money. They should know how to manage it and accrue a million dollars. The surprising one on there is teachers. It's the third most frequent appearing profession amongst all millionaires. So that tells you that the College of Education produces more millionaires than the law school, than medical school, than than computer and technology, than a lot of other professions. And it's surprising. And when I read that recently that they found that, it drew my mind back to a book I read back in the 90s called The Millionaire Next Door. It's a great book. And in that book, they talk about the surprising number of teachers that appear amongst millionaires. So this is like 25 years of research that that keeps showing that teachers just surprise a lot of people and they appear amongst the ranks of millionaires. And if you read Wes Moss, he's a local Atlanta kind of financial guru. He talks about teachers and their retirement. The retirement is a huge piece of that. But another piece of that is teachers are planners. We make lesson plans every day. We know how to create a plan and we know how to execute a plan. And we we do a good job of adjusting, right? If we do a lesson plan and it fails first period, if we're a high school teacher, then by second period, we make adjustments and it's running a lot more smoothly that second, third period. And so if teachers grasp the plan of how they can retire 10 years before the national average. The national average of retirement is 65. Teachers retire much earlier than that. 
in good health with lots of energy. They can retire 10 years before the national average. And if they catch the plan, they can put the components together and be worth a considerable amount of money at age 55 uh, and really set themselves up for a great second chapter in their career or in their life. So, yeah. So that's been a, an, a surprising little piece that shows up that's validated through these studies. And nobody believes me when I say teachers are the third most. Everybody's like, give me a break. Sometimes people will get mad at me for claiming such a preposterous claim. Uh, but it's it's true and it's shown up in the financial literature for for decades. I also remember that The Millionaire Next Door book when it came out and some of the findings in that. And it really was about people who live a modest lifestyle, who are driving a 10-year-old car, who... Uh, watch their money. They budget their money. Uh, they still enjoy life, but they've got a plan, like you said. And uh, they're not they're not taking that first paycheck and buying a brand new car and getting. Nowadays, you can get I think a six year loan on a car. They're not yeah. doing those kinds of things, right? Um, and, and and that's kind of the surprising thing. I think a lot of people think and conflate millionaire with multi millionaire, or that you have a million dollars of income coming in, and therefore you're burning through a million dollars. But a millionaire really is someone who has accrued a million dollars worth of net worth. So that takes a plan to do that. And you talk about early in the book, the difference between or the comparison of a true millionaire versus a millionaire equivalent. And that is part of the calculation that you do throughout the book. So if you don't mind defining those terms for us. You bet. Uh, a millionaire is, or a true millionaire is just someone who has a million dollars worth of net worth. You, they add up everything they own. And then you subtract everything they owe and you have a million dollars left over. So a true millionaire might have a $400,000 home paid for. They might have $300,000 in 401ks or 403bs. They may have $100,000 worth of cars or assets that are paid for. But a millionaire is you have a million dollars worth of either money or things or or both. Uh, A millionaire equivalent, I go through just kind of a a little goal. You know, these are kind of lily pads throughout the book. We want to all become millionaires, but as as teachers, we can become what I refer to, and this is just an invented term that I I made up for the for the book. It, it is a millionaire equivalent that with our pension, we can have the equivalent of a million dollars of streaming money coming to us very easily. So If you listen to financial advisors, they talk about the rule of 4%, that you shouldn't take out more than 4% of whatever your 401k is worth, whatever, how much money you have. So if you have a million dollars in a retirement account, and that million dollars produces 4%, and you just take out 4% every year, then you would have $40,000 of income coming from that million dollar investment. David Ramsey is a a guy that goes a little more aggressive than that 4%. He he thinks that you can pull out 8%. And so a million dollars producing 8% or growing 8% in the market would produce $80,000 for you every year. And you could live off of that 80,000. And I kind of like that 80,000 number because it's just bigger than the 40,000 number. So If you look at TRS in the state of Georgia, the average payout, I believe, has been updated, and it might be like 41000 that when you retire after 30 years in the profession, 
And if you get started in your 20s, I got started a little later. I got started at 26. Well, 30 years later, that puts me at 56. I would get 60% of my highest years. And the average TRS payout is 41,000. Well, that means that that TRS retirement is worth a million dollars. It is the equivalent of a million dollars sitting in a 401k that's kicking out 40 grand. In my book, I say, well, let's go ahead and push it to the 8%. So a million dollars would kick out 80,000. So our first goal should be that we should become a millionaire equivalent, meaning we get $80,000 of passive income, income from our retirement. Now, some will say retirement money is not passive income. I paid a very dear price to get to that point. I won't argue with you. That's fine. But when I'm 55, 54, with, with time, I could retire and I will get the equivalent of what a million dollars would kick out just from TRS. Then in the book, I talk about additional things we can do in addition to TRS to make those years even more comfortable and enjoyable for us through teaching, all through the wonderful profession of teaching. And I'm sure we'll get into this in a little bit, but it, it really is different streams of income. You've got TRS, which is uh, a solid retirement income you can count on. That could be the equivalent of what a million dollars would kick out. So it's a millionaire equivalent. Anyway, continue. And then hopefully somebody has decided to invest in a 403 or B or a 457. Uh, and then additionally, if you are in a school district that either uh, contributes to Social Security or may have another local plan, you would have three sources of income just from that. Absolutely. And you may have done other investment in addition. So most people would be looking at at least three streams of income in retirement. Right. And if you add all those up, if it equals more than $40,000 a year, that is the equivalent of what a million dollars would produce following the rule of 4%. Or if it's 80,000, it would be following the rule of 8%, which is a little bit more aggressive, but still not wildly aggressive, according to finance folks. So you go through... Uh, several uh, methods of ensuring that you get to that level of stability. So you've got five levers here. I'm just going to read them off real quick. But first one is maximize your retirement plan, which is the pension, which in Georgia's TRS. Lever two is make the profession pay you. Lever three is tell your money what to do, which is budgeting. Uh, lever four is put your money to work, which is investment. And lever five is expand your options. So let's let's just take a few minutes and go through each one of those levers and how they combine to make somebody perhaps a true millionaire or certainly a millionaire equivalent. Absolutely. So I and when you read financial literature, they talk about leverage. They talk about we're trying to lift a lot of wealth. We're trying to create wealth. And so we have to leverage time or money or talents to lift this kind of weight, this amount of net worth, if you will. So I just went through and say there's levers that exist in education that we can leverage to lift a millionaire net worth. And the first and biggest lever that we have as teachers is that pension. In the state of Georgia, the TRS is phenomenal. And I just go through and and I try to make it because a new teacher, they're not really going to think about retirement. That you know, we don't really believe we're going to turn 50. And as you said earlier, I just blinked my eyes and I turned 50 last year. It was the most bizarre thing that 
I, I blinked and I had been teaching for five years. I blinked and holy cow, I've been teaching for 15 years. And now I've been in it for 25 years. So I hopefully will will, will allow that 20-year-old to think about it and see it for its value. So I just go through the wonderful thing that is TRS because it is a tremendous lever to leverage teachers to millionaire status. And so I just go through that. The second lever is make the profession pay you. It didn't take me long to figure out that when I started teaching at 25, 26, I was working really hard. And the people next to me were making a lot more than me. You know, they were at the end of their career. They might have had another degree or two. Their paycheck was a lot bigger than mine. And I was like, well, why is that? Well, because it, the way it's set up is we are rewarded for experience and for training. That's how we can make more money. And it, it took me a while, but but I figured out, okay, if I stick around long enough, I'll get an increase in pay for every year I work. And then I started noticing the pay scale has columns. And each column is, this is what you get if you have a bachelor's degree. This is what you get if you have a master's. This is what you get when you have a specialist. I said, what's a specialist? Somebody said, it's a little bit more than a master's. And you get this much if you, make a, if you earn a doctorate. And so I said, okay. I'm going to make this profession pay me. It's the same amount of time, uh, but if I have a doctorate, I get paid more. And I noticed some of these rascals who had advanced degrees and, and a lot of experience, they weren't working as hard as I was. They weren't creating the, the common assessment. They weren't volunteering to do this. I was Mr. Eager, and I was I was doing everything. And they they were happy to let me do the work. And I started thinking, well, hey, I don't mind doing the work. I want to do good work. but I need to make this profession pay me. And, and I go through about all the ways in which we can make the profession pay us more. There's so many opportunities in education that a lot of times we just look at, oh, do we want to do summer school? Ah, now I need my rest. Well, wait a second. The profession is offering to pay you more. Why shouldn't I make the profession pay? Hey, do you want to, uh, to sell tickets at the baseball game? No, I'm tired. Wait a second. The profession is giving you an opportunity. And I found that even when opportunities come up that aren't paid and I volunteer for them, they are tremendous opportunities for networking and discovering other opportunities that I wouldn't have known had I not been there selling the baseball tickets and talking to my buddy over there. And he said, hey, did you know such and such? And I was like, oh, the profession is there ready to pay us. And they have the, the rules clearly defined. So we need to just make it pay us more. Let me make one comment about about something you said uh, earlier that that I think is really important for people to realize. When you were talking about getting an advanced degree, you didn't just talk about it as a financial lever, although that certainly results in that. But you also keyed in on the fact that you're going to make some tremendous connections with people with networking. You're going to find out about other interests. You're going to improve your instructional ability. You're going to improve your uh, analytical ability. There's so many other things that also come from the degree. And you also happen to move yourself up on that pay scale. And it's something you get to determine. It's there. Like you said, those are the rules of the game are set. You can make the choice to do those things that are going to help you out. Oh, absolutely. From From the professional lens, we want to get extra degrees for all of those professional goodies that you just enumerated. From the perspective of the book, <laughs> which is financially focused, uh, I hone in on the financial goodies that come from that. But it is good to reiterate 
that putting yourself in these situations, whether it's going and getting extra degrees, whether it's volunteering for the the instructional leadership team or the assessment leadership team or volunteering to be the department chair or whatever other experiences that you can get will lead. And I talk about that in the book, a few folks, that it didn't appear to lead to financial gain initially, but then opportunities were available later in the career when the kids were older and out and you had a little bit more time, you weren't buried in in running kids to practices or, or, or buried in house and car payments. And all of a sudden you could breathe a little bit, then they were able to really cash in on those experiences because they had developed the the connections, the expertise, the abilities, and the know-how to see the opportunity when it appears. Absolutely. All right. Lever three is uh, tell your money what to do. This one is huge because as teachers, we're used to telling things what to do. We tell kids how to walk into the classroom. We tell kids how to turn things in. We're we're telling people what to do all day, mostly, uh, or we're being told what to do. But we're in that telling things what to do business. And that should apply to our money, too. If we can set up a plan and see the vision, then we can set up a budget and live within that budget. And I'm going to tell my money what to do so that I have 10 to 15% left over at the end of each month. I need to have 10 to 15% left over for the next lever. So this lever is crucial to any profession. This applies to teachers. This applies to dentists. My older brother is a dentist. And for many years, he didn't tell his money what to do. He was making a lot of money. He was burning through a lot of money. He didn't have anything left over. He was just eating it, you know? And so he had to learn how to tell his money what to do. And we have to, we just have to follow basic financial rules. Our incomes, our our salary may not be as big as the next guy, but we're really good when we tell that money what to do, then our results will be better than the big salary ones. And that's how teachers climbed up that list so much. And that's how they're beating the lawyers and they're beating the dentists and they're beating the the computer software guy. It's because of this third lever. If we if we're successful at telling our money what to do, then that leads us to lever number four, which is put your money to work, which is just a basic financial principle as well. Anybody who's going to accrue any money needs to put their money to work. So if we can tell our money what to do, have 10 to 15% left over, then we take that 10 to 15% and we invest it. And I'm not a financial guy. I've read the books. I don't know how to pick day stocks. I'm not a day trader. I don't know. I don't know how to pick the stock. I just talked to my financial planner that is through the county. The county says, hey, here's a here's some products you could do. I go to him or her and I say, hey, here's some money. And they say, why don't you put it over here? And they tell me what to do. And I, it just happens. And we set it up automatically. There's another great book called The Automatic Millionaire, where if we just set things up, we don't have to think about it. And we as teachers don't have time to think about money. We have a lot of work to do. But if we can if we can get 10 to 15%, then put it over there and put it to work. And that could be in a 401k, a, a personal 401k. It could be in our 403b through the county or a 457b. I'll give our listeners the same assignment I've given Uh, My new teachers find out the difference between what a Roth is and a traditional and decide with your financial planner, which is uh, most appropriate for your situation. But I just go over the importance of investing and I define a very important concept, which is compound interest. A lot of times we hear the word compound interest and we say, yeah, I know what compound interest is, but it's kind of like as educators, we hear the word standard deviation. 
and everybody says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what standard deviation is. It's that's a deviation that's uh, standard. Yeah, yeah, that's the ticket. But if we said, what is the standard deviation? They might not be able to say, okay, standard deviation is you have the mean and 34.7% are to the right of the mean and 30% to the left is to the left of the mean. And that's considered one standard deviation. And that's considered the normal. They probably won't be able to put it into those terms. And we And we probably hear the word compound interest and we say, yeah, I know what that is, but I don't really know what it is. In that chapter, lever four, put your money to work. I talk about what compound interest is and how it's so powerful. And if we get it, if we get in early, we will become not only millionaire equivalent, we will become not only a millionaire, we will be multi-millionaires because it's that powerful. So that's the lever where we kind of dive into some basics of investing. I don't tell you where to invest. I'm not a an investment guy. I just know it has to be done. And as far as I'm aware, every public school district in Georgia has an approved provider for a 403B or 457 plan. And those plans are free to join. Mm -hmm. You just decide how much money you're going to put into them. And I always encourage people also with those new teacher orientations, even if you can only do $50 a month right now, start doing it now because of that compound interest principle and increase it each time you get a, an increase in pay or you get a promotion or you take on some new responsibilities. Exactly. Just keep up with it steadily over time and it'll make a huge difference by the time you get to that 30-year point. Yeah. All right. And your your fifth lever? Oh, and then the lever number five is expanding your options. We have a tremendous profession. And I say this with all the love in my heart. We have a tremendous profession that has a 190-day contract. Now, uh, I know if we mention to teachers and sometimes people outside of teaching will say, well, you have your summers off. And that kind of can sound a little diminutive or, or pejorative or you're not good. I don't mean it in that way. I mean it in there are 365 days out of the year. We only work 195 on con or 190 on contract. That's almost every other day. So we have skills. We are... Uh, professional, we're trained, we're educated. Some of us have very specialized talents. So we need to expand our options during that time that we aren't on contract to see what we can do to bring in a few extra bucks. I've worked two jobs. And some people say, you shouldn't have to work two jobs in a career. And and I just kind of look at it and say, well, if there's an opportunity to use my skills and my training, and there's an opportunity to make some money, I'm going to take it. And so I've worked two jobs or more my entire career, not because I have to, it, the extra money's helped, but it's I've had some pretty big financial goals that I've wanted to do. And, and so expanding your options is how can you use your skills, your time, your talents to do a little side hustle, to do uh, some things that might help you pay off your cars quicker, increase your rate of contribution from 5% to 10% to 15%. How can you continue to sharpen your professional and personal saw to maximize this time between the ages of 25 and 55 that we're trying to accrue enough wealth to last us for the rest of our life? Uh, and so I just talk about all the different things, everything from, you know, not everybody's uh, can do this, but I bought a small home when I first got married and we could afford it. And we love that home. And then 
we got thinking maybe we need something a little bit bigger. And instead of selling that home and going into a really big home, we kept that home and we got a moderately sized home afterwards. And then I kept that home for a rental. And that home has been just creating uh, and growing and, and doing something has been a headache, but it, there's compensation there. It's, we, we've decided that the headache is worth it, but we just talk, I just talk about what else can you do? And then the crazy thing is if we retire at 55, we're young, we're in good health. What else is there? There might be a second career. There may be come back and work part-time and double dip for a while for five, 10 years and pocket all that money. Or is there a whole new career for you? Expand your options. And, and we're blessed with a profession that does have big chunks of time where we can explore some of that. So that's what that chapter goes over. There's a pretty consistent theme that I'm hearing about being intentional and being steady. And it's not a get rich quick. This is an over the course of a career, being mindful of what you're doing and how you're doing it with an end goal in mind. Absolutely. You know, I've read The Tortoise and the Hare hundreds of times. It's a wonderful story. And every time I read that story, Craig, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty consistent that that tortoise wins. Absolutely. Every single time. <laughs> and we are definitely the tortoise that's that this profession can help us retire a full decade before the national average, having accrued a million dollars and a, a healthy pension in addition to the million dollars. It is tremendous. And, and it's the best kept secret in the world. No, everybody thinks, oh, you're going to be a teacher. You're going to be poor. And it just hasn't been my experience. I'm surrounded by folks and seen folks who retire young and not poor time and time again. And I, and, and I just wanted to put it together and say, hey, this can help us recruit talent into the profession. This can help us when the profession is tough. Teaching is so tough. And when we're there and we're thinking, this, this may not be the thing for me, but wait a second, if we understand the financial ramification, that might be enough to help us get through that tough year or that tough administrator, or that tough class that's really got me on my last string, you know? And so that's kind of the the hope that we can get the word out that, guys, teaching is, is really amazing. Tough, but all professions are tough. We might be even more tough than the other professions. That, let's say that's true. It's okay. We can retire 10 years before the national average with a, a very, very comfortable nest egg. And that tortoise, that turtle wins the race every time. It's also very comforting and it takes some anxiety out of what's going to happen to me when I stop working. And a lot of people do not have the assurance that a teacher does. Just even if you've not leveraged these other things as well as you could have, TRS by itself, as we've said a couple times, is a major reason to stay in the profession and have that security in your later years. I've talked to financial planners who are associated with schools and financial advisors who are not associated with schools. And every time I let them know I'm in education, those financial advisors, uh, their eyebrows perk up and they say, oh, hey, yeah, that teacher pension, that's something. They see the value in it and they're in the industry. They, they see the financial value uh, of how powerful that lever is. Absolutely. You've been advising your young teachers for a number of years yet. Any success stories where people have come back to you and they say, Steve, I just really appreciate what you told me 
10 years ago, 15 years ago? Well, it's been fun talking to teachers real time before the book, just talking. They they would share some things. Sometimes I was successful in convincing someone not to retire. I've had teachers that I was unsuccessful with. They they had reached their point and they said, Franson, I'm out of here. And I was like, and I did my best sale job and I was unsuccessful and they left. Uh, one teacher that I think of, she still has not come back. She started a business and she's making it happen. But two others, after about a year, I needed teachers and I called them back up and I, I straight up said, hey, are you broke yet? And one said, yeah, getting pretty close. I said, are you ready to come back? She's like, what do you got by? And they've come back, uh, two have come back and, and it just been tremendous going out and seeing how the real world was part of the experience that they needed to go explore for a while, then have come back and gotten focused. And one of them has started to work on her, her master's, or she's looking just now, looking to start her master's. And I've been fussing at her at, at increasing her contributions. And she has increased her contributions. She came back and said, said I, I increased it. I was like, yeah, you did it. Okay, you're on the right track. But after writing the book, I've, I've had a, a tremendous uh, chance. I met you at a conference and working with districts across the state. I've worked with districts who are rural, who are urban, and, um, and working with their teachers to kind of share this message. Because TRS is consistent no matter what part of Georgia you live in, right? Some of the metro areas have higher salaries and some other things that they're able to do, but the rural ones are not urban areas and folks who live in rural areas usually uh, want to live in that area. They don't want the hustle and bustle. And so the TRS is just as impactful for them too. So it's been a lot of fun working with districts and teachers across the state through this project. Well, we are going to uh, include all the information somebody would need to uh, get a hold of your book with the podcast uh, resources that we'll make available. Let people know how they can get in touch with you if also if they wanted to. One thing I always like to ask our Page Talks guests is if you'd like to give a shout out to a particular teacher that influenced you in some way in your life that you'd like to recognize. Oh, absolutely. I would like to shout out my entire Spanish department at South Gwinnett High School from 1998 to 2002. One, uh, Lisa Howell is, a, is, I believe, a page rep now. She and I shared classrooms because the school was growing so much, I didn't have my own classroom. So I floated from classroom to classroom. Uh, though That first group of teachers uh, made it possible for the principal to ask me to come back in year two. Had it not been for them and relying on them, I would have been completely unsuccessful. And I, I wouldn't have been surprised if they would have said, thank you for your service. You need to go do something else. So that whole department was just instrumental in a young uh, teacher's career to to figure out the ropes and of the profession, the ropes of the profession, how to manage a classroom, how to set up a grade book, and hey, how to make this career pay off because it was those conversations with with those experienced teachers that got my mind running about additional degrees, how to set up the 401k, 403b, said, hey, there's someone here from uh, the, the financial area, you need to go talk to them. It, it was just... It was tremendous. So I, I landed in a great place and they they made it happen for me. So thanks for the opportunity to give them all the love in the world. Absolutely. And here it is these many years later and you're leading a school and nurturing young teachers and, and recruiting folks in and keeping them in the profession. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. You bet. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Page Talks podcast with Dr. Steve Franson, author of The Millionaire and Me and a Georgia Educator. 
As a special gift to page members who listen to this podcast, I'll send a copy of The Millionaire and Me to the first five educators who email me at charper at pageinc.org. I encourage you to become a regular Page Talks listener by subscribing on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms. Learn more about the Professional Association of Georgia Educators on our website. If you're a Georgia educator and aren't already a Page member, consider joining us today. Goodbye until next time.